0: The yeah is an EWTN Newslink. I'm Teresa Tamio from Catholic Connection. The Pope calling for peace in Afghanistan. The Pope, using his Angelus address, to ask for prayers about the situation, just as the Taliban were about to take over the government. The Taliban is now in control after seizing the capital city of Kabul. The U.S. Embassy moving to a military-controlled section of the airport as evacuation flights continue. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is planning to give an update on Afghanistan in a few days. He's currently spending a long weekend at Camp David in Maryland, where he issued a statement over the weekend. He sent more troops to help with evacuation. And a post from Cardinal Raymond Burke's official Twitter account says he's now been admitted to the hospital and is being assisted by a ventilator. The weekend post asking supporters to pray the rosary for him. The cardinal asked for prayers last week as he announced that he had tested positive for COVID-19. I'm Teresa and The doctor is in with Dr. Ray Garendi. It starts now.
1: The Doctor Is In is a co production of Avi Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
2: How are you, sir?
3: This is Pierre. Oh. I can't believe I'm talking to you, Dr. Ray the Great. Well, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just
2: like my father. I don't think you should feel helpless. You. Are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. You be at peace, or else I'm going to yell at you. Trying to find a reason to speak to you.
4: I think you're the best thing since sliced bread. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there.
3: They don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, at this phone call.
1: Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray.
2: I saw a meme, a woman was talking to a number of people, she was a facilitator in a group, she said, uh, once again, I'd like to call this group the session of Plastic Surgery Anonymous Together, I'm seeing a lot of new faces, and frankly, I'm a bit disappointed. Now think about that, that's an IQ joke. Got to have a somewhat level of an IQ to get that one. I'm Dr. A. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. They told me I was gullible, and I believed them. This is E-Person Monday. Notice notice the care with which I'm taking to be linguistically sensitive. Person, not male. E-male, again, patriarchal, constricted language. Broaden it out, E-Person Still has sun in it, so that'll that'll be gotten rid of shortly here. But for right now, person sounds better than e people Monday. This is where we take your missive. Oh, I can't even say missives. It's got miss in it, your missives. and discuss them. I'm talking about the stuff you're writing about. We will get to those. This was sent to me. Sent to me from a, a dear lady. Long ago, very, very creative lady, as you will see, you know, those parenting tests they put out all the different ways you can see if you're fit to be a parent. Uh, this is what she calls the driving test. Uh, borrow a minivan. Put three monkeys in the far down, fold down seat, far back, fold down seat. Give each monkey one of the following items. A box of matches, an aerosol can of spray paint, a sharp stick. Take the car onto the highway into heavy traffic. Maintaining traffic speed, keeping at least one hand on the steering wheel, prevent the monkeys from doing any damage to your car or to one another or passing automobiles without violating any rules of the road, stopping the car, causing or getting into an accident here's another one this is the personal fashion test buy one set of clothes in the heaviest gauge sailcloth available you will only be able to afford to replace these clothes once every 10 years for a special occasion dye them a different color Buy one pair of sturdy shoes whenever you leave the house. Wear them. Indoors, wear slippers, or go barefoot. Wear any two socks that you can find. Unmatched socks is the closest thing to a fashion statement that you will make for the rest of your life. The privacy test. Handcuff yourself to a moody, strong-willed stranger who has poor sleep habits, no social skills, and burps a lot. Throw the key to the handcuff into the ocean. For the next six months, go to the bathroom, take a shower, sleep, cook dinner, visit friends, drive, type, talk on the phone, attend mass, go about all your normal business with this person handcuffed to you. Finally, the diet test. For three years, eat everything left on the plate of a person who will only eat French fries and Cheerios. Remain fit, energetic, and shapely while doing so. There you have it. And by the way, these tests were composed by a listener in Poland, a very, very creative woman. Call her Nell. I know she has her Ph.D. in literature. Okay. Nell just... Well, no. Should I do this? Yeah, I'm going to do it. Nell wrote me once. And the brouhaha over using any kind of writing as a discipline measure uh, gets, gets a lot of pushback. It gets a lot of pushback from teachers. It gets a lot of pushback from people who just assume that writing, uh, writing anything as a discipline consequence will turn a child off towards writing. Well, first of all, that's nonsense. It's theory. There's no research supporter whatsoever, and there's plenty of evidence to indicate that it just the exact opposite happens. Well, Nell was telling me a story that she is, I think she has it by now, her PhD in literature and some, some type of uh, composition. She said that A professor in one of her graduate courses said, you are all pursuing a Ph.D. in various forms of writing. I'm not sure of all the details. The professor said, we should not have to give you grades. Should not have to, in essence, force you to write. Writing is something that you will probably have it, some degree in some degree in your career so you're way way past the point of having to be in essence threatened with a bad grade if you don't write so from now on in this course all of you will write only as you so choose Nell said initially the students were ecstatic this is great all right. Yes, yes, that is right. We we shall write as we so choose. This is our this is our career to be. This is something that we have long since outgrown having to be threatened with a bad grade if we don't. We're pursuing a PhD in this realm. Nell pointed out that for a while. That was the attitude. And assignments were coming in. People were writing. As the semester wore on, less and less assignments were being pursued. More things were just let go. The internal motivation to write was not there as strongly as the professor thought it would be and as the Ph.D. students thought it would be. Nell made the rather incisive observation that this very select group of writers, people pursuing a Ph.D. in various forms of linguistic expression, Without the requirement of having to do this, surprisingly, did it less and less. Which points out that writing, for most people, is a discipline. It is something that you have to make yourself do. I will tell you that the hardest thing that I do in my professional career is to write a book. It takes me about a year per book. I write it in between the other stuff that I do as a shrink, but by far the self-discipline in writing a book is more than anything else I do in my profession i like the end product i like looking at something that i've written after it's been mished and mashed and smashed and edited 27 times to read somewhat the way i'm satisfied with i like that but on the way there it would be so easy just not to do it so any of you parents who make your children write for some kind of consequences do not at all zero worry about somehow some way turning your child off toward writing and toward the english language it doesn't happen that way all right when we come back i got the e-persons stacked up and in the queue on the phone i'm dr ray i appreciate your company thank you for joining me the doctor calling
5: Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard is in.
4: When you talk about the Reformation, you often hear it talk of five solas, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus and Soli Deo Gloria. Catholics have no serious problem with Solus Christus or Sola Gratia. The problems are with Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide. Catholics will maintain that Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, is itself unscriptural. Where in Scripture does Scripture refer to itself as the only infallible authority that we have? It's also illogical to say that you stand on Scripture alone presupposes that you know what Scripture is. And frankly, we don't know what Scripture is because it's a tradition that we've inherited. We don't establish it. We know what counts as Holy Scripture because Catholic bishops detected that certain texts were inspired by God.
3: Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta, 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio.
5: This program brought to you in part by the nonprofit Angelicum Academy.
4: This is Father Joseph S.U. I have an important message for all you homeschooling families. You can get an outstanding and fully accredited Catholic college education and save $100,000. To learn how, go to angelicum.net. That's angelicum.net. Earn 75 college credits and an associate's degree in high school for just $3,500 a year. And earn your BA degree just one year later at age 19. Check this out at angelicum.net.
1: Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you are automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.
2: I used to struggle so much with being indecisive. Now I'm not so sure. Thanks for joining me. I'm Dr. Ray Grande, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern time. The TV show now airing its 10th season, Living Right with Dr. Ray on the EWTN Global Catholic Television Network. If I want to light up these phone lines. It's very, very easy to do. Not that I would offer my own observations about life and people. All I have to do is bring up the subject of COVID or tattoos. Some weeks back, I brought up some observation about tattoos, you know, from a psychological perspective. Basically, I think my point was that the human condition, we are sheep... And whatever catches on as a cultural, societal phenom, like a tsunami, roars through, especially the younger group. They, they, They like to think they're independent, but in fact, they are probably the most influenced by the peers of anybody. And you don't have to be 16, you can be 33. I made the observation that the tattoos fade. Well, we got a call that day from a fellow who said, Oh no, 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 now they've got better stuff. They've got they've got new things, new ink, new techniques, they don't fade anymore. And then my wife sent me I forget where it was. It must have been UK Daily Mail, someplace. And they followed up these tattoos between one and five years. They didn't remotely look like they originally. We're done. They do fade. Well, this is from where are we at here. This is from Susan. Just had a comment regarding the subject of tattoos. As an R.N. in Michigan, I've worked on a maternity unit for 23 years. Needless to say, I've seen some horrific tattoos. The ones that are most amusing are the ones on the post-pregnancy abdomen that have stretched so badly that there are stretch marks throughout the tattoo and it is almost impossible to determine what it started out to be. Weight gain during pregnancy can cause stretching of the tattoo Anywhere on the body. So grateful my husband and I never got tattoos, nor are three daughters. Not having a tattoo today is a statement in itself. And is not being a sheeple. <laughs> so that comes from Susan. Then this one came in from Barb. Somebody brought up the point that if you're interviewing for a job, depending upon what kind of tattoo you have and where it's placed, it could affect you. And then somebody called in and said, No, no, no. Tattoos are so common now it makes no difference. Uh she is uh okay, no, this is this is her story, I guess. An HVAC student, which is uh probably sounds like um heating something and air conditioning asked the teacher at high school tech program for a good referral to employers. The teacher said, no one is going to hire you with those tattoos. The student says, no one cares about that anymore. Teach, you're behind the times. A few minutes pass, and a friend of the teacher walks up, who happens to be an HVAC heating, is it heating, I don't know what the B is company owner. After being introduced, the student asks about a job. The owner says, I can't send you into people's homes to fix their air conditioning or heater with those tattoos. Barb says the student had his tats removed and is now gainfully employed. So, in fact, there are those occasions when, indeed, the tattoo, and depending upon where, how much, how big, for some is going to be a factor. Many of you listening to this program have more than your 1.86 allowable children in our culture. Our culture is rapidly deciding what new morality is to be. There are all kinds of things that the culture now says is group morality. Group morality being you must be a certain perception regarding climate change you must be a certain perception regarding covid you must be a certain perception regarding immigration those are the new group moralities the individual morality is getting pushed aside especially sexual morality in the sexual morality in our culture or if that is the word sexual amorality you can pretty much do anything you want there is one thing though that we frown upon and that is having more than one point eight six children within a committed marital relationship, those of you, especially moms the guys don't get the guys don't get the heat as much as the moms do, who have more than two children. you start getting critiqued, you start getting mocked, you get opinions that you didn't ask for. these are very intimate decisions between you and your spouse and it amazes me how some people feel they just have the right to comment upon how you choose to welcome children and you know the nonsense do you know how this is happening yeah don't you do you have a TV yes matter of fact we have four what's your point well I'm sure glad it's you and not me with that attitude, I would suspect my kids are too. Are you going to get fixed? Pretty, pretty clear. We're not broken. Well, this came in to uh, from Scott. It came into EWTN, and then it was forwarded on to me. I'll give you a little backdrop on this. When we were adopting, waiting in line for a second child. There was a young birth mother who said, I never had a big brother growing up. I always wished I had a big brother. As far as we know, we were the only people on the waiting list with a little boy. So she chose us to place her baby with. That baby is now 32 years old and is stationed in Germany as a major in the army. This comes from Scott. I am not Catholic, Dr. Ray, but I really should be by now. I'm just apprehensive, I guess, to take the steps to becoming one. One thing I have heard you talk about in your program concerns some people's perceptions of large families. got me thinking. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and as a young boy, starting around third grade, I'd sometimes walk home with a classmate friend after school. My friend had four siblings. That seemed like a lot to me. I only had an older sister at home. He had two sisters, two brothers, and this was my first real glimpse into what a larger family was like. My friend was next to youngest with a little sister, and his oldest brother was out of high school, still working at home. Siblings were all nice, but when I was there, I remember how special it felt having his oldest adult brother wanting to hang with us and do activities with my friend when he was home. Mundane things, like going for a Mountain Dew, throwing the football around, helping rebuild a Briggs and Stratton engine. At that time in my life, it seemed pretty cool to do those things with an adult that sometimes let us do things we couldn't do around our parents. I learned a lot about females, too, from him. That would have taken me years to know on my own. I guess what I observed in this family was that most of them got along pretty well, but How many kids get to experience having a cool adult brother that actually wants to interact with them and have fun? At that point in my life, I thought bigger families were awesome. It seemed like in their family, the oldest and the youngest siblings got along best. (laughs) That's true. I even noticed that in my own family, my son Andrew. He was the oldest. Lizzie was the youngest, 12 years between them. And Andrew always took care of Lizzie. He spoiled her rotten. There was a different dynamic I noticed, and I'm not sure if this is common or different personalities. Dynamic between the middle and youngest versus the oldest and youngest. Looking back, I'm not sure why this dynamic made such an impression on me at the time. I had fun with my own friends my age, but his brother added something to the fun that made it special because he was older. Big sisters sometimes don't want to play all the star wrestling with their little brother and his friend the way cool older brothers do. For a boy, having an older brother who doesn't ignore him, doesn't neglect him, doesn't look at him like he's just a pain, a cool older brother takes his younger brother under his wings, keeps an eye on him, does things with him. I'm 15 years older than my brother. I was 15 and a half years old when he was born. One of the reasons I think he was born is because my brother before him passed away. He and I, from that pretty much that moment on, have become best friends. I was in college. I used to use him to introduce me to girls. He'd be seven or eight years old. And I'd say, hey, Mike, go over and and talk to her. Then I'd go over and say, ma'am, is he bothering you? It's great. Better than having a dog, you know. To this day, he and I have been lifting together for 30 years, 40 years. Played softball together. He's my best male friend by far. I'm the older brother. Now I'm the aged older brother. But at that time... That older brother, younger brother thing was cool for me, too.
4: WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks
5: Catholic Radio is important.
1: So should you. you. The EWTN home video highlight for August is I Am With You, a documentary on Carlo Acutis. This EWTN original documentary brings you the remarkable story of blessed Carlo Acutis. Family, friends, neighbors, and classmates paint a moving picture of this impressive young man whose spiritual wisdom far surpassed his age. Order your DVD at EWTNRC.com 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, or call 1-800-854-6316.
6: What makes you happy, truly and completely happy? Not just for a day or a year. What makes you truly, completely happy day in, year out? St. Thomas Aquinas says, God alone satisfies. Each and every one of us in the human race desire happiness. Our creator, God, implanted that desire in our spiritual DNA so that we would be drawn to him alone who can completely fulfill that desire. The Beatitudes respond to that yearning for happiness, says the Catechism of the Catholic Church, because they reveal the ultimate end of human acts. God calls us to his own Beatitude, characterized variously as the coming of the kingdom of God, the vision of God, the joy of the Lord, or entering into God's rest. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
2: One thing, how can there be self-help groups? You ever notice that? Self-help. I asked the, I was in a bookstore the other day, and I asked the lady, I said, can you show me to the self-help section? She said, if I did that, it would defeat the purpose. Good to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garndy, Thanks for joining me. Dr. is in. This is uh, E-Person Monday, where I take a chance to uh, tackle the E-Persons that come in each day. Certain ones are selected. Certain ones are just asking for referrals to people in an area. Uh, others making a comment. Some are giving me a heads up on a particular article. And then some are saying, here's my situation. My wife has been suffering from marital illness for many years. Severe paranoia. She continues to refuse help and denies her illness. I had her forcibly committed. Now, what, what he means by, he, he had her committed, legally committed. You can, if you're a danger to yourself or to someone else, an immediate danger, you can be committed for 72 hours, and you can go longer than that if a judge believes you are, are still high risk for yourself or someone else. And he said, I he goes on, I had her committed through a court order. It was very painful for our family. Well, I had my daughter... I had my daughter committed when she was, uh, actually before she was age 18, when I became her guardian, then in fact got her a number of group homes. She was evaluated for more than two weeks at that time, but she refused care and medication, responding with total defiance that continues today. One of the great difficulties of someone with a significant mental disorder, and typically, there is neurochemical brain involvement. Now, someone might say, "Doctor, how do you know that?" Well, in in most cases, we we can't measure it. Uh, we don't we don't have the sophistication neurologically for the assessment tools, but you you conclude that on the basis of the severity of the symptoms is there a loss of contact with reality are there delusions that are false beliefs that are simply stubbornly resistant to reason is there serious personal hygiene decay i mean are you are you seeing things that in fact would indicate something is drastically wrong in the functioning of the brain now the, the levels of insight into this, the levels of cooperation of the patient into this vary widely. And some can absolutely refuse any kind of intervention, any kind of help. That's, a, that's really the worst case scenario. He says, I try to maintain a life with her. I continue trying to get her to talk with a psychologist or priest to no avail. sir, It sounds, given what you've briefly described, is that a psychiatrist, one who can prescribe medications, and the church has absolutely no problem with these kinds of medications and these sorts of severe mental disorders. The problem is that she wants no help at all. None. Zero. Now, talking to a psychologist or priest could help a little, but it, it isn't going to do much for the brain derangement. The disorder that's going on in her brain. So, he says, I'm getting weary physically and emotionally in the face of continued defiance. What I would suggest to you, sir, is that you quit pushing on her. But Dr. A, she so much needs help. Yeah, yeah, I know, but you've lived with this for years and you've lived with her defiance for years and there really is likely nothing you're going to do i think again i I can't predict this but if i'm looking at the basis of what i've seen before what can happen is an exacerbation of the symptoms make meaning making them more intense more extreme and then another commitment at which point they they may in fact give her medication against her will Uh, including uh, shots of some type. Um, In fact, sometimes uh, there could be a a dangerous episode. She could wander from home. She could get so paranoid that she does something serious. So I think those are the things you really need to keep a close eye out for. But in terms of trying to get her to get help, Uh, Be very careful how hard you push on that. That's exhausting to you. It's frustrating to you. And you keep thinking you're going to be able to get through to her if you repeat yourself enough times. And that's part of where where your exhaustion is coming from. Are there any books you'd recommend to help me endure and cope? Yes, I, I recommended some books to him. My faith is strong. I'm always hoping. And I'm forever praying. Given the age of your wife, and I did not say her age because I didn't want this to be anything more than an anonymous letter. Given her age and given how long this has been a problem, my guess would be that you pray for strength. You pray for the ability to have some peace for yourself. You might want to consider getting some help, getting someone to come in just so that you can leave the house. I, I don't know if you can or you can't. I don't, I don't know her level of functioning. I would also suggest that you really seriously consider cutting down your attempts to convince her, your attempts to push on her, your attempts to give her names, your attempts to call people, because that's, that's frustrating, it's probably futile, and it's absolutely exasperating and exhausting. Not unusually, people will call me and they'll say, I'd sure like my spouse to come in and see you. I would I would like my adult daughter to come in and see you. I would like my relative to come in and see you. Uh, they told me to call you. And do you know what I tell those folks? Have them call me personally. Another person generally calling for therapy for someone else almost always doesn't work real well. Much of the time, the person coming in is doing it only to appease the other person's pressure. When I say, please have them give me a call themselves, much less than half the time they do. So, my friend, in a situation like this, sounds like you're persevering but I think you do need to find a way to give yourself your own peace in this because to alter the way your wife is seeing things, the way your wife is doing things when she is totally resistant puts you in a no-win situation
3: of mother Angelica now when Jesus was on earth he taught us a great lesson he taught us that he came for the sinner not the virtuous he came for you because you are imperfect because sin comes easy to you and sometimes you don't have the willpower to say no But you see, if you understood the awesomeness of God and all his power and all his wonder, and he comes down to our level, he wanted to feel, how do you feel? I don't know anybody that loves anyone that might. And this imperfect being that's you and me and all of us, he did it for us. That's why you should never despair, because you're imperfect. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit religious catalog at ewtnrc.com.
5: Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo.
7: John chapter 11, verses 21 to 26. This is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Lazarus is one of his best friends. Just before this passage, we hear the news that Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that the one you love is sick. And the next line in the scripture is, now because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. His friend's in need. He can heal. They've seen him heal before. And yet somehow, because he loves him, he stays. And Lazarus dies. And then Jesus shows up three days later and is greeted by Martha and Mary, who confront him with the words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. Rather applicable for many of us in our lives. We ask the Lord to do one thing because we're certain it is what we think is best. When in fact, he has something which far surpasses what we ask for. Challenges in waiting for that to happen. We go through very trying times, which oftentimes makes us wonder, does he really care?
2: Dr. Ray Randy, thank you for joining me here on The Doctor is In. Okay, what do we got here? This is E-Person Monday. Mm-hmm. I'm moving through the stack here. I don't want that one yet. I don't want that one yet. We have what feels like an insurmountable problem. Our daughter and are very desperate for help. We have eight children. We've worked hard to ensure that our eight children went to Catholic schools and all the Catholic faith as best we can to be involved in their lives. Our faith is everything to us. We've had a very good life with typical bumps in the roads. Two are struggling with our faith, but we're praying and working with them. That's pretty good. If you've got eight kids and two of whom are adults and are now struggling in the faith, that is pretty good. Our oldest daughter, never married, engaged once but ended, has had a couple of traumatic events outside of the family. A 10-year relationship with a fellow she was engaged to that failed. We found out he had been diagnosed bipolar and much came to light that we didn't know about in the relationship, verbal abuse mostly. Ten years. Ten years, Mom. It's a long time. So a lot of stuff had been going on. And my only guess could be that your daughter didn't tell you, either because she was ashamed or she knew you wouldn't approve or or she thought you would not want to have anything to do with him. Okay. After that, our daughter became a party-goer with excess drinking. Sadly, one of those nights ended in a terrible assault. Then began the Tattoos. She now has 13 of them. Her self-esteem as we see it is extremely fragile. And how difficult it is to bring up an issue without her thinking we are condemning her and judging her. I, I would guess this didn't just happen after the breakup with this fella that she was with for 10 years. My guess would be there was that decline occurring within those 10 years. And after the breakup, she developed an attitude of, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. The heck with it all. Just my guess. I can't know. She knows how much we love her, but that issue is how much she hates herself. This is very evident in conversations we have had with her. Now we come to find out. She is publicly exposing her tattoos and herself on the internet. We fear what is next. As I say the word fear, I know that is not godly at all and that the Lord will always watch over us. Um, Okay, Mom, what I want to say is yes and no. There's nothing wrong with using the word fear. You can fear events. You can see something coming down the pike that you think has a pretty good chance of happening, and you would be significantly ill at ease about it. I got that. That doesn't mean you lack faith. You could, believe it or not, you can still be at peace and recognize that something's a possibility. Maybe that's the peak of peace, you know? The Lord will always watch over us. Of course, He will. And He'll give you the strength to deal with it. But He doesn't interfere with free will. And your daughter, you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Your daughter is perfectly free to make really bad decisions. And the Lord isn't going to stop her. Now, with your prayers, you and your husband, things may turn out good eventually. We are seeking direction and wondering if we could speak with you, Dr. Ray. With the decline of our culture, and our culture is in a moral free fall. I I don't think that's a nihilistic perspective. I don't think that's a perspective that essentially says, oh boy, oh whoa, not Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Oh boy. I think that's realistic. I think our culture has in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, just told God, get out, get out. We're going to do what we want to do. And the way we design things is borders on lunacy. And sometimes it's flat out lunacy. As a result, a lot of young people are caught up in that maelstrom of immorality. They're caught up and they are twisted and turned away from the way they were raised. This is not unusual. It's the most common referral I now get. In these situations, as a parent, you're forced to watch. You can give whatever guidance you're allowed to give, but it is a wise parent who decides when to stop giving guidance because all that happens, and as the line was here, let's see what this line was here. Um, it is difficult to bring up an issue without her thinking we are condemning. If that's her way of shutting you off, Mom, then to bring up an issue is not going to get you anywhere. She hates herself, you say. Probably that's due to the conflict between the way she was raised and and Deep within her is that moral spark that conscience that you raised to form and the way she's living her life But wouldn't that stop her then not necessarily many people are in that kind of conflict and turmoil They do what they want to do for the moment They realize it's against the morality that is still flickering somewhere deep within them, but they do not have the self-control, the wherewithal, the motive to stop. They don't. That's why a person who's an alcoholic knows that the alcoholism is ruining his life. He's going to lose his family. He's going to lose his job. He's going to lose everything that's dear to him, and he keeps gone anyway. Dr. Ray, but there's a physiological component there. Yes, that's true. That's true. However... There's still a free will component involved in most people. And I think the free will part with your daughter is not something you can do anything about, and maybe God isn't going to interfere with that. Not to say your prayers won't benefit, but they may not benefit as quickly as you would hope. I think you've you've discovered the key. You love her. You'll be there for her to support, not enable, to support. And, hopefully, she will realize that this stuff that she is doing leads to a dead end. I can't say. I can't know. I don't know your daughter. But, from what you're describing, it sounds to me like she's basically said anything goes. I don't care anymore. I've given it up. I want to do what I want to do. But I don't think it happened overnight. I don't think it happened after the breakup, that 10-year relationship with a guy that sounds like he had mental problems too. It sounds like it was coming and it was always there and she was keeping a lot of it from you. And then once he was gone, then she just decided, I'm going to live as I choose to live in whatever way I choose to be. Thank God for your six of your eight children who are still in the faith. And, I'm sorry, five of your eight children who are still in the faith, two that right now are open to it. That's a tremendous record, by the way. A very, very good (laughs) ratio in this culture that is so good at pulling kids away from the way they were raised in the best of homes. Your daughter is the one who is the most struggling of all your kids. There always will be one a bunch of kids who will be the most struggling and sometimes it can be a very serious struggling which it sounds like you described okay continue to pray continue to be there but recognize do not allow this to destroy your peace you were asked to raise her as best you could and you did you did do not allow this to creep into your joy and your peace as a mother and father for those other children too because sometimes one very self-destructive child can take away the benefits of a good parent from the other kids so if you're emotionally functioning at 62 percent of your best because of your daughter you got to work to raise that up for the sake of the other kids. I am Doctor Ray.
1: Solidarity Health Share began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. Bishop Robert
0: Barron on the priesthood.
5: Vatican II teaches that. Every baptized person is a participant in the threefold office of Jesus, which is priest, prophet, and king. So as priest, Christ is a sanctifier. He affects a reconciliation between divinity and humanity, right, by his great sacrifice on the cross. Every baptized person does indeed participate in that in the measure that we all have that calling to reconcile divinity and humanity, to bring God to people and people to God. That's true of every baptized person. Vatican II further specifies that the ordained priesthood is different, not only in degree, but in kind. And it has to do with the identification between the ordained priest, I think, and the mass, and a unique relationship to the sacraments. Every baptized person has a task of reconciling divinity and humanity, The ordained priest does it in this sort of heightened sacramental and Eucharistic way. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic.
1: Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.
2: Good to have you with me, Dr. Rager. Into here. Last quick e-person. I'm tired of hearing my teenager tell me how out of step I am with every other parent. Of course, that's parent comparing. Parenting by consensus. Sarah lets her mom date. Tina's parents bought her a car. John doesn't have to spend his allowance on school supplies. I am looking for ways to quiet her comparisons. Oh, that's easy. Just do what the other parents are doing. That'll quieter comparisons. Now, we parents have responses that we've read in Parenting Manual, Third Edition, Chapter 6, Paragraph 4, Subsection B. Well, we're not Tina's parents. If Marlon jumps in the lake, are you going to jump in the lake too? Yeah, we try those cliches, they don't go very far. What I would suggest. One, you can ignore it. Two, you can realize that you are right. It's very simple. In statistics, there is a truth, if you want to call it that. The further away you get from the norm, the less like you other people are. So if you're a parent who has very high standards, attempting to keep your child's innocence for longer than the culture says you should, less parents are going to be like you. It's that simple. And your child's going to notice it. Why would they not? Kids parent by the numbers. But they only parent by the numbers when it's in their favor. They would never draw a comparison to Madge, whose mother makes her do three hours of housework every Saturday morning from 9 to noon. Oh, no. No, no. Mom. How come you don't make me do what Madge's mother does, where you have to work for three hours doing housework on Saturday mornings? No, 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 no. no. All comparisons are to children who have it better in the kids' eyes. So you're not going to stop that. You could put a price tag on it. For example, when they say, you're not in touch with all the in-touch parents that I know, you might say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my decision based upon what I think is your maturity and your trustworthiness. That's how I make my decision on every perk or privilege. When you nag me about this and you throw up other parents who are doing it differently and that I should do it that way, I'm going to assume... But that means you're not quite at the level of trustworthiness or maturity that I would hope to give you this privilege. So the more you nag me, the more you compare me to other parents, the longer it's going to be before I give you this privilege. Just understand that. So you can compare me, but it's just pushing back the privilege. Now that will frustrate her. And she may just ignore it and compare you anyway because she get satisfaction out of comparing you and trying to make you feel guilty and trying to make you feel like a Neanderthal throwback and trying to make you feel like the worst parent that walks the face of the earth. Do not be bullied. Do not yield. Do not give in. Do not think to yourself, well, oh, my judgment is this is not a good thing to let her have at this age. Well, if that's your judgment, that's your judgment. Yeah, but she'll resent me. Yes, she may. But you're playing the long game you're recognizing that to prematurely give a freedom runs more risks than to not prematurely give it to stand your ground and face whatever misunderstanding or perhaps resentment or even trickiness in trying to get around you that that will bring. You can handle that. So simply tell her the more you nag, the more you compare, the, the longer it'll be before I decide to give you that privilege. That's putting a price tag on it, isn't it? Alrighty, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it so very, very much. This has been The Doctor Is In. This has been E-Person Monday with my producer man, Andrew Kruchek, over there in Ann Arbor, as we cooperate with EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's
1: presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
0: Is your marriage struggling? You are not alone. The past 18 months have stressed many couples' relationships. There is help. Retrovi is a highly successful Christian peer ministry that helps couples heal and renew their marriages. The next program in San Antonio begins September 17th. For more information or to register, go to helpourmarriage.org or call 210-848-3278.
6: The Guadalupe Radio Network would like to thank Dr. Christopher York, an ENT doctor practicing in medical and surgical treatments of disorders of the ears, nose, and throat with an emphasis on thyroid and parathyroid surgery. Dr. York is also past president of the Catholic Physicians Guild of San Antonio and can be reached locally at 210-499-4589. Thank you, Dr. York, for your support of the Guadalupe Radio Network.
7: The San Antonio Archdiocese, Knights of Columbus chapter, is holding our annual clergy and religious appreciation dinner on Friday, September 24th at Holy Trinity Catholic Church from 6 to 9 p.m. Tickets are only $60 per person or $480 for a table of eight. Included is a three-course meal and bar service. If you'd like to donate to help with ticket costs for retired priests, clergy, or religious, or to purchase tickets, call Tom Kruger at 210-889-3993. God bless.
5: Celebrating 2,000 years of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.
4: Streaming to the world at grnonline.com and on your FM dial at 89.7 where KJMA, Floresville, San Antonio. All Catholic, all the time
0: to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with a spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong.
7: We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today.
5: that allows you to instantly stream EWTN to your TV. All you need is a high speed internet connection, a TV, and a Roku player. For more, visit EWTN.com slash Roku.